Brothers and sisters, good morning. Today on the Feast of Corpus Christi, I have the honor and the responsibility to preach on the Eucharist, the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. I'm almost a little bashful as I begin. I'm not worthy. I don't mean to sound weird or awkward, but please understand that as I look back through the years, the Eucharist has been the single most influential, consistent presence in my life. From season to season, my relationship with the body of Christ has become my most intimate relationship over and above all others. And so in speaking of it, I'm forced to reveal also a part of my own heart. I remember very little from my ordination day. Maybe you can relate from the day of your wedding. It was all kind of a blur, a lot of hellos and thank yous, a lot of great memories, blurry memories. But one memory that will always stick with me is the moment in the Mass after I was ordained when I held in my hand for the first time as a priest the Eucharist, the host. I heard the bishop say the words, Behold the Lamb of God. And I nearly started to cry as I recognized that this most precious gift that I held against the backdrop of my own palm was my offering to God. But it was not always so. I distinctly remember a time when I was in seventh or eighth grade attending Mass with my family, and I didn't know that the Eucharist was the true presence. I looked up at the priest who would hold Christ so that we could behold him, but I didn't understand that the Eucharist was actually Jesus. I didn't know. I was just a kid. What a powerful symbol, I thought. It wasn't until I was a bit older at a Destination Jesus retreat at Guerin Catholic High School that I had the Eucharist explained to me in a powerful way. I prayed and I adored there in a way that I hoped would become the pattern of my life, begging God's mercy and feeling his call. Perhaps you too have had a meaningful and heartfelt encounter with our Lord in the Eucharist. But perhaps not. Perhaps you're sitting there saying, Father, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is super boring. That's okay. Indeed, sometimes the Eucharist is not the generator of devout feelings. But this is not the principal purpose of God's gift in this Mass. In The Lord of the Rings, Catholic author J.R.R. Tolkien used a stand-in a symbol to sneak the Eucharist into the story. When last year I was reading The Fellowship of the Ring with some of our 7th and 8th graders at St. Michael's School, I told them there's a secret code in this story. If you're paying attention, there are Catholic things hidden all over. In this story, Tolkien created something called lambus bread, or 
whey bread, a very thin white wafer, similar to our word viaticum, which is part of the last rites or the sacraments that you would receive uh, when you're passing from this earth on to the next world. It's communion for the dying, communion for those with a journey to make, or literally via tecum, Latin for with you on the way. In the story, Tolkien describes Lambus bread not as a casual food or a comfort food. It's not food that just makes you feel good. As they journeyed through dark days and attempted to master themselves, the characters in The Lord of the Rings reflected the Lambus had a virtue without which they would long ago have laid down to die. It did not satisfy desire, and at times Sam's mind was filled with the memories of food and the longing for simple bread and meats. And yet, this whey bread had a potency that increased as travelers relied on it alone and did not mingle it with other foods. It fed the will and it gave strength to endure and to master sinew and limb beyond the reach of mortal kind. Our Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, also gives strength to your will to endure, to become holy. You are what they eat. What, you are what you eat, as they say. That's the bad part of writing a homily out. That's why I don't normally do it. That would have been a cool line, wouldn't it? We can all agree. You are what you eat, as they say. But perhaps you've received communion with devotion over and over again. You come to Sunday Mass. Maybe you even come to daily Mass. And it feels as if nothing has changed and your heart threatens to run dry. St. Jose Maria Escriva, a saint from the last century, counseled one such soul. He said, going to communion every day for so many years, anybody else would be a saint by now, you told me. And I, I'm always the same. Son, he replied, keep up your daily communion and think, what would I be if I had not gone? A sobering thought. Still, though it may primarily work to affect the will, it can be a great comfort when one realizes what is meant by the Eucharist, who is truly present behind the forms of bread and wine. St. John Henry Newman, who's one of my guys, one of my patrons, wrote to a friend shortly after his conversion to Catholicism, and he said, I'm riding next room to the chapel. It's such an incomprehensible blessing to have Christ in bodily presence in one's house, within one's walls, as swallows up all other privileges. To know that he is close by, to be able again and again go in and visit him. I could not have fancied the extreme, ineffable comfort of being in the same house with him who cured the sick and taught his disciples. Before, I neither understood nor tried to understand the Mass, and I did not know or did not observe the tabernacle lamp. But now, after tasting of the awful delight of worshiping God in his temple, how unspeakably cold 
is the idea of a temple without the divine presence. One is tempted to say, what is the meaning? What is the use of it? I don't know, Newman. (laughs) What is the use of it, truly? Evelyn Waugh described a scene where a chapel is closed. The beaten copper doors of the tabernacle behind our white veil are swung wide. And the contents, the Eucharist itself, is evacuated, taken out. Christ is no longer present there. So the red flame in the lamp that you can see up there is put out. Suddenly, wrote Waugh, there wasn't any chapel there anymore. Just an oddly decorated room. It's a lesson for us in the Catholic Church. The Eucharist is the object of our faith that differentiates it from faiths that dwell in other oddly decorated rooms. That's to say you don't just go to a church because it's the prettiest or because the preacher is the most vibrant or because you really like their social stance on one issue or another. You go to a church to find God. If God is there, then the ugliest room can become the most meaningful. But if he's not, then it's just an oddly decorated room wherever you are. This is why we govern the worthy reception of Holy Communion, recognizing that in Holy Communion is present God himself. This is why we say that Catholics who are in a state of grace, that means they've gone to confession sometime in the last year and they're not conscious of any mortal sins on their soul, after fasting for an hour, can receive communion either on the tongue, extended flat please, right up to your lip so that I don't have to worry about trying to get inside your teeth, or on the hand, not reaching out to grab, but sitting sturdy as a throne, not also as a sieve where I have to worry about whether or not Jesus is going to fall through your fingers. Rather, flat, present, holy, a place worthy of Christ to dwell. The divine presence peers forth from our churches in Muncie, on Jackson, on Charles, on Riverside, and we carry him within ourselves as we're sent forth. From age to age, the presence of Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, has brought blessing. It's inspired the stacking of stone upon stone to build a dwelling fit for the divine. You think about this church, and even the church that preceded it. Why did Catholics come to Muncie? Why build a church and plant a family? Why try to grow something here? Because God dwelt with them. And they desired to build him a house, a place where they could go to meet with him, to be present face to face and heart to heart. That's what makes this place significant, and it's what makes it endure. It's moved hearts and minds towards the poor and the marginalized. It's been the source of our authentic communion. As one famous father wrote to his son, out of the darkness of my life, so much frustrated, I put before you the one great thing to love on earth, the blessed sacrament. There you will find romance 
glory, honor, fidelity, and the true way of all your loves on earth. As long as the Feast of Corpus Christi is celebrated somewhere on this earth, there is hope. Hope that contextualizes fear, anger, and anxiety. Yet perhaps the liturgy is not always celebrated with the nobility and sacramentality that one might hope for. Perhaps we feel unknown as friends and leaders pass from one stage of life to another. Perhaps the policies of governments and corporations threaten to unmoor life as we know it, and the corruption of church leadership around the world discourages you and me. But is the Mass still offered? Is the Eucharist still present? Does God still make his dwelling among men? If so, then let the tares continue to grow with the wheat. One day, the harvest will come, and that wheat, the good seed, will be shorn, pressed, and consecrated, so that once and for all, we may truly exist as the body of Christ. Until then, may you look back in your life and see that the Eucharist is the single most influential, consistent presence. From season to season, your relationship with the body of Christ gasps out to become your most intimate. Do not be deceived by appearances. Today, God comes to this church for those with a journey to make. May the body of Christ keep you safe for eternal life. Amen.